Joining us again is your champion, protecting your vote, a longtime investigator, reporter, BBC reporter, author of best-selling books, and a good friend to this show, Greg Palace. Greg, in a moment, I want to talk to you about our dear governor, uh, who we both know very well and have known for a long time. But um, the battle, the battle for that vote in Georgia and across this country continues apace. We know there are some 250 anti-voter bills in some 43 states. Uh, We know that these battles are happening. You know, uh, I believe it's now Senate Bill 1 is uh, a structural uh, protection, uh, protect your vote bill. We don't know where that's going, but bring us up to speed. How do you see where this vote battle is now? It's a blood battle. I mean, the Republicans, and, you know, it's not a partisan issue in the sense that it is about voting rights for everyone. But the GOP has decided that voting rights is an attack upon the, the Republican Party. And we've had this horrible situation today, by the way, very, very important, is, is that Senator Raphael, Reverend Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, gave his maiden speech this morning in, in the Senate, concentrating on voting rights, and he was talking in particular about the new uh, incredible, insane list of new restrictions on voting in Georgia. And as he says, you know, the, 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 uh, the other party, the GOP is basically saying, we can't win if everyone votes. So instead of changing our message, instead of talking to uh, the voters, and this is now a minority-majority state, Georgia, instead of talking to your voters and convincing them to vote for you, we'll just stop them from voting. And they tried hard. They, they couldn't steal enough votes to keep uh, Warnock and um, John Ossoff, uh, his, uh, other, the other senator from Georgia, from winning. Warnock will be running again in two years. Once again, Georgia will be the center of, of the nation's attention on who keeps control of the Senate, because he, uh, he was just fulfilling a, uh, um, the remainder of, of a term. And so he'll be up in two years. And, you know, they are afraid that voters like him. He's a very personal guy. And so what they've done is in Georgia, and this is just Georgia, of course, the bill would protect everyone, but Georgia's always been the center of of the struggle for civil rights and the struggle against voting rights. And, you know, among the other things that that he's noted is that there is a law that they're trying to stop mail-in voting. You have to have, like like, a doctor's statement to mail in your vote. And, you know, as you know, I was with the 94-year-old cousin of Martin Luther King, Christine Jordan, and he's going to make her wait in line for hours to vote, uh, the, the uh, GOP. Uh, they've made it, as you know, as I've reported here, the story I broke, a felony crime to hand someone a piece of pizza while they're waiting in line for hours or a bottle of water. It's a felony crime in Georgia, a felony crime. And I was there uh, watching that uh, those pizza pushers from Papa John's handing out bottles of water in calzones. That's a felony crime now. They've re- eliminated drop boxes so that if you have a ballot, instead of mailing it in, it's much safer, of course, given the attack on the post office, which is still defenestrated, um, that you can't just simply, uh, uh, that they're going to restrict the number of places you can drop off your ballot. So again, you have to, so the idea is to increase the size of the lines, and then you can't have someone hand you a bottle of water without them getting handcuffed. Um, 
And, you know, again, these are the things that are going on in Georgia. And I want to connect two stories. You were just talking about the attacks on the Asian community in Georgia, which, of course, um, um, Senator Warnock brought up the horrible attack on the Asian community uh, this week. And that, by the way, from my investigations, including for UN Democracy Now!, the Asian American community is the prime target of the vote suppression attacks. People think they're going after the black vote, but that's a sophisticated group of uh, voters who have know how to get around those Jim Crow rules. But now it's Kim Crow. And what and for example, in Georgia, in Georgia, there was a group ten thousand Koreans vote. And Brian Kemp, when he was Secretary of State, they had to get 10,000 Koreans to vote. You need, Dennis, 10,000 Koreans to re- uh, Korean Americans to register to vote. They registered about 4,000 in the first round, and um, they were never entered onto the voter rolls. Thousands of Korean Americans never had their names entered onto the voter rolls. And when the group said, where are our voters, they said, oh, we don't have any records of these people. And they said, well, we know we registered them because we have photocopies. The response of the state of Georgia... GOP-controlled state of Georgia, was to send in the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to the Korean American Voter Registration Office, kick in the doors, take the computers, and threaten everyone there, these mostly elderly voter registrars, with felony charges of tampering with the election because they'd photocopied registrations. And they did it for the simple reason that the state was defrauding them, not registering people, denying that they ever got the form, so they photocopied them. They were trying to stop a crime, and they were threatened for two years. They had, they literally had felony crime charges over their head. It effectively shut down 10,000 Koreans' vote. It was a direct attack on the Asian American community, and, and one guy stood up for them. Not only stood up for them, but danced for them. His name was John Lewis. In fact, in my movie, Best Democracy Money Can Buy, I have John Lewis dancing with Korean-American students uh, and uh, call it voting Gangnam Style. But this was, so John Lewis was a serious defender of the Asian-American community in Atlanta because it is the fastest-growing community in Atlanta, and it is the community which put Ossoff and Warnock over the top, and that scares the hell out of them. So... You have to understand the attack on the Asian community is part of this whole, is wound in with the whole voter suppression operation. And like I say, people be surprised, I've said it again and again, the big attack is on the Asian American community vote. And of course, uh, uh, it's important for people to understand that uh, the real heroes here on the ground, it's not clear who are the heroes and who are the villains and who is suing who and who wants people to really have the right to vote. I mean, we've seen like a lot of right-wing so-called heroes who have not really been supportive of people having their right to vote. Oh, yes. Let me, let me identify one for you. The Secretary of State, Brian Kemp's hand-picked successor, GOP successor, Brad Raffensperger, has been played weirdly, Dennis, as a hero by MSNBC, by 60 Minutes. Why? Because he did stand up to Trump. Why did he stand up to Trump and release the recordings of Trump threatening him? He, Trump was literally threatening him with jail time, and um, his, he was literally facing death threats. 
because he didn't steal enough votes for Trump. I can tell you right now, having been worked in Georgia seven years and intensively through this election, um, this character did everything he could, like I say, to block the Asian-American vote, the new Hispanic vote, the, the black vote. Uh, the NAACP calls this guy Raffensperger the vote suppressor in chief. He's not a nice guy, but he's been played somehow as a weird hero. And on top of this, are you ready for this one, Dennis? He's opened up an investigation against Senator Warnock, who, by the way, if you don't know, is African-American. He's opened up an investigation against Senator Warnock and against Stacey Abrams for interference with voting. These are people running voter protection campaigns, but he calls it interference with voting because he said, oh, just like Donald Trump, they have been disparaging the wonders of our electoral system. Well, no, Trump talked about the phony, he had this phony claim of voter fraud, that is, individual people stealing votes by the literally the millions, which there's no evidence, it's, it's ridiculous. But what Stacey Abrams and Reverend Warnock talked about is systemic, systematic suppression of the vote by this very guy, and yet he and his a state board of elections have opened up investigations. Can you imagine charging Stacey Abrams and Reverend Warnock with voter interference, what all they're trying to do is help literally protect people uh, tr- uh, attempting to exercise their democratic rights. It is so surreal. It's so Orwellian. It's hard to imagine how bad things have gotten in certain states. And I would identify Georgia, Florida, oh, and Ohio as uh, the places where it's just gone off the rails in terms of reversion to Jim Crow, Kim Crow, Jose Crow. Because they can't, they've learned they can't just suppress the black vote anymore. There's too many other or, uh, groups coming in, as uh, too many new Americans coming in who are voting Democratic. All right, that's Greg Palace, gregpalace.com. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Uh, we're going to sort of uh, jump to another subject uh, which we both know a lot about and which uh, you've been doing some writing about, and that's what's going on uh, with the governor of New York, uh, uh, Governor, uh, uh, our friend Governor Andrew, shall we say, who was the darling uh, of the fighting the pandemic moment, except that he wasn't really doing uh, such a good job, even though he faked himself apparently into an Emmy Award. So, yes, Greg, mean, you've been writing a little bit about this. You want to sort yes. of set this up, please? Okay. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, you know, son of Mario. Um, Andrew, um, you know, did a good job. He literally got an Emmy, which is strange. He got an Emmy for his press conferences, attacking, daily attacking uh, Donald Trump over COVID. Uh, no one is going to defend, and certainly not me, Trump's, you know, um, uh, ignorant, deadly, and horrible non-response to COVID. But Cuomo's press conferences were just what they were. He deserved the Emmy because it was brilliant acting. He didn't believe a word of it. And we now know that from his actions. It's now been exposed that he literally um, covered up the fact that his ignorant decisions, which he wouldn't reverse, cost thousands of lives, including the crazy system of saying, telling nursing homes that they had to accept people with COVID. And of course, COVID went wild through nursing homes in New York with the highest death rate anywhere in the nation and in those nursing homes. And, and he did his, and rather than switch the policy, he moved to cover up. 
Um, that's the beginning. And of course, uh, you know, I'm, you know, there's right now, of course, there's the issue of him bullying, harassing, and sexually harassing young women on his staff. Um, and we'll get more information on that and report as it goes on. But you have to understand, all this is a piece with a long history that has been ignored by liberal by the liberal media uh, because of he, he has the name Cuomo. But don't forget, he's like Donald Trump. He used his daddy's name, money, and power to get where he is. He was put in charge. He was as a young guy. He was made Secretary of Housing. And his name, if his name is, were Smith, he wouldn't have been appointed by Bill Clinton to be Secretary of Housing. Because he was Cuomo, he got the job as Secretary of Housing. And Catherine Austin Fitz and others have done tremendous work, and the New York Times, I'll grant them, tremendous work on the massive corruption in the housing department under Cuomo. He's always been a friend of Donald Trump and the real estate gangsters. Remember, he went to Donald Trump's bachelor party, and apparently... According to these young women, he kind of never left the bat- Trump's bachelor party. Um, and so while he's in, uh, at HUD, he definitely pleasured the real estate industry, and he continued that through his time as governor. In fact, uh, one of the things he announced when he was running, became governor, is that he now had the opportunity to, and this is a quote, to take on the unions. So that was his main goal to, as governor, is to take on labor unions. This is the progressive, and and this is the beginning. And of course, as you know, he also privatized what was it, Lilco, Long Island Lighting. Yeah, so Uh, yeah, and that was a great freaking disaster. I think that just so people, especially on the West Coast, understand, we had the biggest public takeover of a power system in the United States under his dad, under Mario where three million, the three million um, uh, customers of Long Island Lighting, uh, it was seized. It was a great, it was a great moment of, uh, of socialism in two counties, as one legislator said it. Multi-billion dollar uh, takeover of the power company, which had done the Texas thing. Put people in the dark, overcharged them, but the solution was to make it a government agency and get rid of these privateers, these pirates that were running the power system. So the pi- power pirates were eliminated. But son Andrew, quietly and sneakily, resold it back to the power pirates. He sold off this massive public asset, this multi-billion dollar asset, and allowed, once again, the privateers to grab the public by the bulbs, for which he was economically, his campaigns were economically pleasured. Um, you know, it was something you would expect from a Trump or a Reagan, but a guy named Cuomo? Uh, this is, you know, and then, you know, that's the beginning of it. And when I mention, and when I say, his, you know, his campaign coffers are pleasured, um, at the beginning of this last term, he was trying to sell his right-wing agenda. So a bunch of real estate sharks got together and funded a slush fund to promote his pro-business pro-real estate agenda. You know, and this type of creepy stuff, is it, was it illegal or on the edge of legal? All I can tell you is it's, uh, it, you know, uh, this is not something you would expect from a progressive. It's literally turning over government and the sale of government policy to privateers. So, you know, none of this, and you know what happens when you become kind of a political bully and you become like Trump's buddy, you remember once again, he was really personally close to Trump. 
Um, and only when it was politically convenient and he could get his Emmy did he go after Trump. When you become that type of bully, it's not surprising that it carries over into your personal life of harassing women or abusing. He was already abusing his office, the fact that he, that he apparently abused it as well for, you know, his, uh, his uh, sexual weird, you know, uh, bullying and weirdness um, is not surprising. It's all of a piece. It's not out of character. It's totally in character. And, and Greg, to be clear, uh, you mentioned this before, but I don't think you put it all together in terms of the fact that his so-called um, uh, uh, virus czar was strong-arming people around the state. Uh Apparently, to keep them quiet or to find out where they stood, and you know, it, it was sort of like uh, if you don't shut your mouth, you might not get the uh, the vaccinations that you need. Well, can you imagine this? So, what happened? His the the guy he has in charge of vaccinations and and which places get vaccine centers, which places get the vaccine. Remember, it's all up to the state. The way uh, Trump set it up, states get vaccines in proportion to the population, and it's totally up to the state who gets the vaccines and how they get them and where. Cuomo made no effort to uh, make sure vaccines got into the communities most at risk. Rather, his czar, his vaccine czar, when he's facing impeachment or, or trouble and calls to resign, is calling up county executives and saying, will you back the governor on impeachment? Now, this is a guy literally holding your life in his hands. He's got the vials in his hands, and he's asking, will you support my boss? Now, imagine if Donald Trump had used Azar, his health and human services secretary. What if Azar called up governors and said, are you going to support Trump or not? I, you know, I got your vaccines here. Gee, it would be a shame if something happened to your nice little vaccine center. Can you imagine? That would be an absolutely impeachable offense. That would have been in the impeachment indictment. And Cuomo literally had his vaccines are call these guys who are trying to save the lives of their of the people in their counties. And instead of saying, "Here's your vaccine," he's saying, first, well, first, I want to know you're going to back the governor." It is that in itself is to me. Uh, I, I was actually stunned. I mean, I you know, I, obviously, I don't. I'm not one of uh, uh, Cuomo's big fans, but even that shocked me. So he ain't no liberal, and he didn't make any friends within the educational community uh, and uh, was really uh, troubling when people were trying to deal with the dangers of Indian Point, uh, the nuclear reactor that is just, uh, shall we say, upstream a little bit on the Hudson from right, New York City. Right, that's the other thing people have to understand, is that New York, his dad closed the Shoreham nuclear plant because it was a danger to the people on Long Island. He ran on that. But his son, you have Indian Point, which is a nuclear plant, which is older than Methuselah, cracked, rusted, and dangerous. It's 30 miles above New York. If anything happens there, what are you going to do? You're gonna, you know, we're 10 years from Fukushima. No one's left in Fukushima. Do you wanna, can you imagine if something happened at Indian Point? New York would be simply eliminated. It would be a dead zone with warning signs. At the, at the bridges, don't enter for the next half century. And yet, at least, he would not yeah. take action to close that thing down. And uh, I might add, 
coming from that area and having taught in Peekskill and all around the Hudson, uh, it is about it is some of the most beautiful natural areas. The way the way the the Hudson turns up at Peekskill and heads into the city, and it's just it's just right there uh, in a, the perfect place to destroy everything. And uh, where do where will New Yorkers run to? It's really sort of some sick policy. Yes, and actually, my understanding mm-hmm. is, Greg, that th- mm-hmm. there is new legislation. They're trying to expend the length of the life of these uh, already uh, old nuclear reactors. You know, like, would you drive a 40-year-old, 50-year-old car around? How do you think that's going to run? Anyway... Well, I got to tell you that I actually worked with his dad, with Mario, Governor Mario, on the evacuation plan. And I can tell you right now, there is no evacuation. You know, I, I well, you don't need to be an expert. I hired a team of experts, but it was kind of telling you, spending money to tell you the obvious. It's really hard to empty out New York City on one hour notice. Yeah. And it would be, if there were ever any problem at Indian Point, um, this would be a, a, a horror show that we cannot imagine, and to permit such a thing. And, you know, the fact that he's just concerned once again, you know, and, and let, me, you know, let me remind you, the people involved in these industries, that behind any point, behind these industries is, um, um, are these corporations that were um, Exelon Corporation, the biggest nuclear utility uh, operation, a big holding company, and that was set up by his buddy Rahm Emanuel. When Rahm Emanuel was at uh, Wasserstein, Perella, and Goldman Sachs, he set up this whole, this, this, and that's how, by the way, Rahm Emanuel made his millions. He got a $15 million. L- listen, Greg, I, ha- I have to interrupt you there because we're running out of time, but I can't tell you how perfect your timing is because we're about to talk to Norman Solomon who's going to tell us about how Roots Action and about a million other groups are opposing Ron Emanuel to be an ambassador in China or Japan or somewhere in this world. So I want to thank you for the perfect segue. We're going to leave it right there. Uh, okay, that's Greg Palast. Yeah. GregPalast.com. He's a mind reader as well as being a very fine journalist. Uh, you are <laughs> listening you. to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio.